Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I think today we're going to focus on answering some key questions that have come in. So what are we going to start with? Well, you know, questions are always interesting because you're never quite sure of the intent, but I think the first one is pretty clear. Um, how do I help my child with a disability deal with bullying and at the same time help them to get more friends? And I was like, hmm, that's a really good question. Um, you want to start us off, Becky? I have a couple of thoughts. I, I don't mind starting off. I, I will, I'm going to tell you from a practitioner's point of view, and I'm going to be specific about things that I, I did and tried myself as a teacher. Uh, so working with kids with emotional and behavioral issues, um, as you can imagine, some of these kids struggled to, to have friends, and they were often either in the case of bullying other people or being bullied themselves, just depending on what their characteristics were. But um, a specific example is one girl, one young girl who she didn't have friends and she did not have good skills for making friends. And what I've seen a lot of people do is kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say artificially, but, but in, in some ways, um, you know, force, force people to be friends. And I, I always resisted that in a way because it didn't feel, you know, natural to me. So I worked on how to kind of get people to work together for a common goal. And in so doing, you know, they kind of learned to appreciate things about one another. So a specific example um, is a middle school girl and she had, she was very explosive um, and had anger issues. She was the kid who, if you put, um, kids in, in groups, she'd say, I don't want to work with them. They're stupid. And lots of things that did not make her necessarily the kid that you would want to work with. Um, so I did have a, a plan where I, I asked another girl in the class, I said, you know, Trisha, um, Beth is working on her anger you know, and I sat down with both of the kids. It wasn't just one. And I said, she's really working on this. And it's, it's something that um, she's trying to work on. So can you do me a favor? And when you see that she is upset, instead of me responding to her, can you say, hey, do you want to step outside and invite her out? So she has a minute just to tell you what she's angry about. I said, you know, this is just a way that people can work on their anger. So I would set up little goals. Obviously, I picked a peer who was going to be good at that type of thing and who was willing to do that type of thing. Um, and so it's not that the girls became these huge lifelong friends, but it was a great entry step into understanding that everybody has things they're working on. And so after a week, um, then I, I asked um, Trisha, you know, what is one of her goals and had, had Beth conversely work with her on one of her goals. So my first thought is always, you know, how can we make this something where people are working toward a common goal of any kind together? Because I think that's naturally how a lot of us become friends. That's how you and I became friends, Lisa. You know, we were both committed to the same things and we're working towards the same goals. So I try to start with the friend making for older kids. I try to start there. Yeah, I think I'll go back to one of our earlier podcasts is, you know, kind of know thyself or, you know, self-advocacy. And I think for kids with disabilities, if they don't know their strengths, and you and I've had the privilege of being around several 
um, students here at UCF with disabilities and uh, been around. And, and some of them really surprise us once they get their wings. They fly in ways we didn't even know was possible. So I think that's the first thing. I think it's easier to be bullied when you don't know yourself. But if you say, yeah, I do make weird noises because I have Tourette's. So, you know, what, what, what's your weakness? Uh, we all have a weakness, but you know what I'm really good at is this. Or, wow, you know, yeah, really, I may not be able to see today, but I certainly can see the beauty in life around me. And so I think that's the first thing I see. And I think often when bullying happens, it happens when people see someone as vulnerable. So I think helping students to be stronger is one. Um, Secondly, I think, especially for younger kids with disabilities, is knowing who they can go to. Who, who do I need to tell that I'm being bullied? And I think we should help them define bullying. And again, very practical advice. You know, when someone makes you feel bad and you didn't do anything, you know, yes, if you threw a ball at them and then they make you feel bad, let's have a different conversation. That's not bullying. That's called, you know, you did something and it's a reaction. But I think we often forget that, that very young kids maybe know it feels bad, but they don't know who to tell. So they don't tell anyone. So I think that's the first thing is make sure your kids know their strengths and weaknesses and can talk very naturally about those. That's true, disability or not. But also make sure that they have a really clear pathway if they're very young. You know, if someone makes you feel uncomfortable, please come to me or at school, please come to your friend Trisha or so that there is this pathway to talk about bullying because often it's happening in kids with disabilities don't share that because they think that's something that's secret and private. So there's a couple of ideas. I have a couple more, but what are, what are your thoughts there, Becky? Well, I think in terms of being bullied, I mean, even, even with our own kids, anyone who's a parent, I, I think it's one of the fears, probably one of the greatest fears when your kids are, are starting to go out into school, no matter, no matter what characteristics your child has, it's this fear that they won't be accepted by, and that they won't have friends. Mm -hmm. So I know I went through that and I, you know, I have twins and I, you know, I remember really clearly my son going to kindergarten one day and he wore like a single like glove. Like, I don't even know why. We live in Florida. It's hot as fire. And my son left with this full on like ski glove on his hand. And I said, Jackson, what are you doing? He said, I just want to wear this glove to school. And I said, well, you know, the kids might make fun of you. I said, I don't care. Wear the glove. I just want you to know that it might happen. And he said, I don't care, because that's how he was, you know, and he didn't care. But I at least let him know some kids might think that's unusual. And sometimes when kids think something's unusual, this might happen. Yeah. So I did as a parent just try to prepare him and I wasn't judging him and I didn't tell him not to do it. I just wanted him to be aware of how some kids might react, especially older kids, if you do something completely unusual. Now, in the case of kids who are a little more fragile than my son, I, I always, in kids, try to instill this idea that the only reason people bully is to gain power. And when people bully, it's because they need something themselves. And I used that even when I was a, a teacher. The meaner somebody was to me, the meaner a child was to me, and I worked with some pretty aggressive kids, I would stop what I was doing and say, oh, I'm sorry, I see you need something from me right now. I see you need me right now. What do you need? I know you're trying to get something from me. What are you trying to get from me right now? And it would stop them in their tracks because the last thing they wanted was for me to <laughs> act like they needed something. They were trying to get power, not my, you know. And so with kids, and again, this is more of an approach for older kids, but getting them to understand 
when people bully you, you should feel bad for them because they need something they're not getting. And, you know, so that, so that kids don't internalize it themselves. They, you almost have to learn to deflect and to understand when somebody bullies, it's a cry for help for that person. And so if we can at least get our kids to understand that, oh, I feel bad for him. He obviously is, you know, this is his way of crying for help. And if you can get kids to really understand that and believe that, then, then those, those bullying things can bounce off a lot more easily. Yeah. And I love that. I think we always say, you know, behavior is a language and, uh, you know, bullying is a language. It's a language of, as you said, so well power. And, and I think that kind of goes along with the line of trying to find friends. And, and I don't think that changes whether you're two, 20, 52, 72, whatever age you are, you know, is helping our kids gain friendship. First of all, right now, it's especially hard because we're in isolation. But even when we were not, it's, it's looking for places they want to have friends versus places we think they should have friends. And I'm, I'm going to put on my parent hat. You know, sometimes um, one of my favorite comments, uh, Josh's fifth grade teacher said to me, she said, Lisa, my greatest fear for Josh is because he's academically low and socially high. He's a leader, but he seems to hang out with all the academically low kids. So maybe he's leading down the wrong path. And I took that to heart and really, you know, I never, you know, when he would say, oh, this is my friend who has blank, 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 you know, list of, you know, oh, he's only been in front of the court system twice now, you know, like he would always find the pleasant part. But as a mother, I'd be like, but what I tried to do is make sure that that environment for my child, if that was a friend he was choosing, was always with me so that I didn't let him go there, but I didn't isolate him from friends because when you have a kid with a disability, sometimes friendships are, are harder to gain. And so I tried to find value in every friend, but I kept trying to send him to friends that I thought were socially appropriate. And I laughed today, he's living with two engineers. Uh, and trust me, they're like a skill set above him. But I love the fact that his social skills carried him and yet we modeled. And there's nothing wrong with the other friends he had. They just weren't the friends I thought he needed for life. And so I think that's true for all of us. We, we make that decision. One last quick note too. I, I just have to share a quick other laugh. And then I think we can wrap this one up and use the next question for the next uh, podcast. Uh, you talk about self-confidence. My favorite moment as a mother, so this is for a good laugh for everybody, is my son. We lived right across the street from middle school. Middle school was tough. You know, your self-esteem and bullying was high. He was short. He was a male gymnast. You can only imagine. Um, he had Tourette's and he left my house and he's colorblind. He was in a lime green shirt and the brightest orange skinny jeans you could find in America. <laughs> and as he left, I said the same thing, Becky. I said, you know what? Odds are very good today. You're going to get teased and bullied. And he's colorblind. And he said, why? And I said, because you look like a neon light. And he said, but I like it because I can see it. I said, well, all I know is when you cross the street on your bike today, you don't need to look both ways because people will see you in the <laughs> crosswalk. But, but I think it's a good example of not taking the glove away, not taking the color of clothes away. I did send a note to his teachers that said, when you see Josh today, his mother did not dress him. And every one of them sent me back a laughing statement. But it is that moment of expression of taking that risk. And I think risk-taking is often leads to bullying if there's not that buffer there. You, you're taking a risk today, we respect that, but as you take that, make sure you celebrate it. Last thoughts to wrap us up, Becky? 
Well, you know, I think, I think the hard part for anybody, for teachers and parents, is to know when to intervene and when not to intervene. And, you know, and, and, and bullying, you know, Lisa, we didn't even mention the kind of bullying that happens online or yeah. via text or anything else. And so I, I would say as much as our first inclination might be to try to punish the bullies, I think that our better bet is to try to instill in the kids who are being bullied um, a sense of resiliency and an understanding that they're well cared for. I know, again, with older kids, when it's cyberbullying and stuff, it's hard because we don't always know that it's happening. But what we can do is to, to teach them to, you know, turn it off, turn off the phone. You know, nobody can have power over you if you don't give it to them. So um, the, the how do we change the bullies? Well, that's actually a counseling issue. It's not a punitive issue. It's a counseling issue. If someone is bullying, they have a problem that needs to be addressed. And so I hope that, I hope that we can start to look at, at, at both sides of it a little bit differently. And believe me, if somebody's bullying and you send them to the office, there's something reinforcing about that because they were trying to be the tough guy anyway. But if you send them to the counselor so they need help, I feel like that's going to diminish that behavior a lot more quickly. All right, well, thank you for joining us for this session and uh, please send us additional questions at our Twitter at Access Practical.